0: here it is from deep inside your audio device of choice you know i i hate to get all political uh, but on a weekend like this i just can't help it ladies and gentlemen the problem with this country the united states is that we just don't have enough thoughts and prayers hello welcome to the show It's August, and it's hotter than July. Hel- uh, from Santa Monica, California, the home of the homeless, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this toasty edition of the show, and now, news of the land of 15,000 princes, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. The second uh, is my cue. Well, good news and bad news, depending on how you define any of it. Facebook this week announced it had taken down hundreds of fake accounts originating from Saudi Arabia. They were designed, according to Facebook, to mislead people and bolster support for the Saudi government. Why would they want it? In a Facebook newsroom post, the company's head of cybersecurity policy, Nathaniel Gleicher, said Facebook had discovered and suspended two separate operations. One originated in Saudi Arabia. The other began in Egypt and the UAE. The two operations were not linked, according to Gleicher. In total, Facebook said it removed 217 accounts, four, 144 pages, five groups, and, 100, and, sorry, and 31 Instagram accounts that were involved in coordinated inauthentic behavior originating from Saudi Arabia. People created fake pages and accounts, according to Glyker, plus masqueraded as local news organizations, I know some local news organizations that do that, to talk about local news and political issues, usually in a positive light, he said. Posts touched on the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, and the successes of the Saudi armed forces in Yemen. They also created negative posts that criticized neighboring countries like Iran, Qatar, and Turkey, and called into question the credibility of Al Jazeera and Amnesty International, according to Facebook. People behind this activity attempted to conceal their identities, but Facebook said our review found links to individuals associated with the government of Saudi Arabia. Busted. But, you know, he's a reformer. Saudi Arabia has allowed adult women to travel without permission. You heard me right. Has allowed adult women to travel without permission. And granted them more control over family matters... This further erodes a heavily criticized male guardianship system at a time of, you know, controversy over the uh, the killing of the guy. Forgot already, right? Khashoggi, last October. You know... We've moved on. The decisions issued in a series of cabinet decrees published by the official Gazette stipulate that a Saudi passport should be issued to any citizen who applies for it and that any person above the age of 21 does not need permission to travel. Grants also, for the first time, women have uh, the right to register childbirth, marriage, or divorce, and to be issued official family documents and be eligible to be a guardian to minor children. I know, it sounds like... Who 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 happened to miss the, the stop for the 20th, 20th century? We're in the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman has eased social restrictions, lifting a driving ban for women last year as part of a push to open up the conservative Muslim kingdom. Of course, there was that little thing, that little murder thing last year, but he wants to transform the economy by 2030. He envisages increasing women's participation in the workforce to 30% from 22%. Congratulations. And if you don't hear it from me, you'll hear it from one of your fake accounts. And now, news of Inspectors General, ladies and gentlemen. For the past year, a tiny Maryland company employed by the federal government to inspect U.S. immigration detention centers has uh, described them, well, painted a rosy picture of life in captivity. That's according to Kaiser Health News. In dozens of reports filed in the last 12 months, inspectors with the Nakamoto Group described detainees having no substantive complaints, facilities where the atmosphere is calm with no obvious indicators of high stress. None of the detainees expressed any concerns about their treatment or safety, Nakamoto employees wrote in a report this past March, following inspection of the Rio Grande Detention Center in Laredo. Detainees were satisfied with all conditions of their confinement. That's a quote from the report. Those kinds of assessments, some of which date back more than a decade, stand in dark contrast to recent findings by the Department of Homeland Security's inspector general, state auditors, and outside watchdog groups, which have documented lax medical and mental health care and inappropriate use of solitary confinement confinement at multiple U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency facilities. Kaiser Health News inspected, or actually reviewed, thousands of pages of inspection reports made available through litigation and federal reporting requirements. Disturbing patterns emerge about the Nakamoto Group's audits, mainly a general willingness to accept the accounts of the facilities that the company is paid to scrutinize and to discount detainees' complaints. Nakamoto rarely reported bad news about conditions at the for-profit and government-run facilities. It audits violations in the quality of medical care and safety of detainees are infrequent and cursory. A surprise inspection May last year by government investigators at Adelanto in California's Mojave Desert revealed significant health and safety risks, improper and overly restrictive segregation, and inadequate me- detainee medical care according to the Homeland Security Agency's Inspector General. People with serious mental illness were being doused with pepper spray on multiple unreported suicide attempts, according to a separate investigation by Disability Rights California. Yet Nakamoto drew a very different conclusion in its 2018 report on Adelanto. Hundreds of grievances from detainees and 83 physical assaults, it noted more than one-third of which resulted in injuries requiring medical attention. Its report concluded that, quote, without exception, detainees stated they felt safe at this facility, unquote. Yet, June report by the Inspector General found unsafe and unhealthy conditions at three other detention centers as well. All four had been given passing grades by Nakamoto. Several current and former Adelanto detainees said delays in medical care were frequent. Fear was pervasive inside the facility. One of their concerns was that guards would indiscriminately send detainees to solitary confinement, known as the Hole, for the slightest infraction. But Nakamoto was being paid, I guess by the government, which has inspectors General anyway, so... And six months after a deadly dam collapse in Brazil, new evidence has emerged that the uh, disaster could have been prevented. Investigators believe there's evidence the German company that certified the structure as safe knew it was vulnerable to collapse. 300 people died almost when the collapse triggered a mudslide. A prosecutor and lawmaker say the German firm TUV Sud is failing to cooperate. The BBC has seen emails that show Tuv own analysis of the dam initially failed to meet initial requi- official requirements. The dam collapsed in a matter of seconds back in last January. There was no warning. Sirens designed to warn of such a scenario didn't go off. Prosecutors have questions for the mine's owner, but they've also focused on the role of the German company that inspected the dam in the months before the collapse. Tuv is a German byword for safety. It's a household name in Germany. By the way, our, our condolences to the people in Germany who have suffered through their own heat wave last couple of weeks. Turned the country into one big oven. Hello. Wait. Wait a minute. The inspection company was founded well over a century ago, offering safety checks on steam engines. This website describes itself as a community of experts united by the belief that technology should better people's lives. The structure that collapsed was a tailings dam. Waste product from the mine had been piled up and grassed over. So there's no extra wall or barrier. The solid waste holds itself in place. You tailings, you hold yourself in place now. We'll be back to inspect. Such dams are vulnerable to liquefaction when, for various reasons, the solid material begins to act and move like a liquid. That puts them at risk of becoming becoming vulnerable to collapse. Documents and internal emails seized by investigators show that Tuv employees knew for around a year that there was liquefaction at the dam. The company had contracts worth about $4.5 million with the construction company at and around the site, including one Signed December a couple of years ago to assess and suggest solutions for liquefaction at the dam. One such solution is known to have failed in June of last year. In the following months, email exchanges show that Tuv Sud's employees analyzed the dam and failed to meet the official safety level required to certify it. They uh, well, what they did, according to the investigators. They solved the problem by changing the way in which the dam was certified. They attached conditions of use to the certification, making it dependent on there being no explosions around the site, which is unlikely in mining uh, country. There is some evidence, according to the BBC, that inspectors were concerned at what might happen to the contracts with the company if they didn't certify the dam. Two other companies had refused to sign off on it and had been Dismissed. Dodgy inspections. And now, news of the godly. They arrived discreetly, day and night. Not wearing their collars and cassocks anymore, they went unnoticed in a series of tiny Midwestern towns. Escorted into dingy warehouses and offices, neighbors had no idea some of them might have been accused sexual predators. This, is from the Associated Press, for nearly two decades, a small nonprofit group has operated out of unmarked buildings in rural Michigan, providing money, shelter, support, legal help, and other support to hundreds, perhaps thousands, of Catholic priests accused of sexual abuse. The name of the nonprofit group. Opus Bono Sacerdoti. Opus Bono. And while powerful clerics have publicly pledged to hold the church accountable for the crimes of its clergy and help survivors heal, some of them arranged meetings, offered blessings, or quietly sent checks to Opus Bono to back the abusers, according to the AP. Catholic leaders say the church has no official relationship with the group but Opus Bono successfully forged networks within the church hierarchy. AP uncovered the continuing story of Opus Bono in interviews with experts, lawyers, clergy members, and former employees along with hundreds of FOIA documents. To the group's founders, Joe Marr and Peter Ferrara were forced out after Michigan's Attorney General found Opus Bono had misused donated funds and misled contributors. A third co-founder, Father Edward Perrone, was abruptly removed from ministry earlier this month after the AP began asking questions about an, act, an allegation that he had sexually abused a child decades ago. Perrone denies the allegation. Over the years, Opus Bono brought on his employees or advisors at least three clergymen accused of sexual abuse and offered sympathizers a tax-deductible, anonymous method of sending money to specific accused priests. When serial file, Jason Sigler, a former priest, was sent in jail for abusing dozens of minors, Opus Bono was there with regular visits and commissary cash, said a former employee. When another priest, Gregory Ingalls, was criminally charged with abusing a teen, Opus Bono made him a legal advisor. Neither current nor former leadership would answer the AP's questions. In 2003, the group won backing from influential Roman Catholics, including Father Richard John Newhouse, the editor of a conservative Catholic journal, who served as an unofficial advisor to President George W. Bush, and Cardinal Avery Dulles, son of former sec- Secretary of State John Foster. He was a prominent conservative theologian. All of these people that have made allegations are very well taken care of, said Opus Bono co-founder Marr in a radio interview. Contending the many abuse allegations lodged against priests are false, the priests are not at all very well taken care of," he added. He has agreed with the attorney general of Michigan to never again run a nonprofit in the state, but that agreement appears to have already been violated. He is now running a near-identical nonprofit group in a different part of the state. Well, he knows how to win Michigan. Opus Bono, ladies and gentlemen. News of the Godly, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. You may have missed a celebration this week. The, um, the day when the human race's allotment of natural resources for this year was all used up. It's called Earth Overshoot Day. Over the past 20 years, it has moved up three months, three months earlier. This year, it was on July 29th, according to Deutsche Welle. After July 29th, humanity began consuming more resources through the end of the year than the planet can sustainably regenerate for the year, according to the Global Fri- Footprint Network. I think we're just carrying this show now. It's the only one. Uh, no, they have been calculating Earth Overshoot Day since 1986. Humanity is currently using nature 1.75 times faster than our planet's ecosystems can regenerate. According to the agent, the uh, network, this is akin to using one and three quarters Earths. I'll take it. Oh, that's right. We are the totals of the global footprint network. It's uh, usage of food, timber fibers, carbon sequestration, sequestration and more. Currently, carbon emissions from burning fossil fuel constitute 60 percent of humanity's ecological footprint. Some countries reach their own overshoot days much more quickly than others. Qatar and Luxembourg did it less than 50 days into the year, while the UAE, Kuwait, U.S., Canada, Denmark, and Australia burned through their allotted resources before the end of March. Israel and Germany hit their overshoot point on May 3. Only Cuba, Nicaragua, Iraq, Ecuador, and Indonesia don't reach the mark until December annual ecological deficits began way back in the 1970s. Because we got Dominion! Who's counting? On a related subject, news of the warm. It's happening. Or maybe not. Certainly not if you're listening to KCSN. Ladies and gentlemen, what's wrong with the Paris Agreement? Some countries' pledges to it may not be as ambitious as they appear. That's according to a new study in Environmental Research Letters. It's uh, researchers from... The Autonomous University of Barcelona... Actually, it should be Barcelona, because they don't speak Castilian there. They they reveal a lack of consistency and transparency between the various commitments. Almost as if somebody was trying to hide something. The top ten warmest years on record in the United Kingdom have all occurred since 2002, according to the Meteorological Office there. 2014 remains the warmest year in its temperature sequence dating back to 1884. 1884. Despite last summer's blistering heat, 2018 only places as the seventh warmest year on record. The stat is based on temperatures all year round. The coldest years, the most recent in the top 10, was 1963. The patterns of warm and cold years in Britain are a clear signal of climate change, according to scientists. The Met Office confirmed this week the UK's hottest temperature ever, ever. 101.7 degrees Fahrenheit was recorded last Thursday, a week ago, in Cambridge. The scientist who compiled the new analysis says the clustering of all the warmest years in the first two decades of the 21st century is what would be expected in a changing climate. And there's a clue. As the uh, climate heats up in coming decades, a Boston University associate professor of Earth and Environment, Ian Su-Wing, worries the increased energy needs for air conditioning could ramp up greenhouse gas emissions. That's what keeps me up at night, he says. He, along with uh, a former visiting scholar at the uh, study of the long-range future, and another colleague from the University in Venice, project this troubling outcome, a significant increase in global energy needs largely anticipated to rise from cooling and air conditioning usage. In a new paper... They warned that that by 2050, even a modest warming of the climate could increase the world's energy needs by as much as 25%, and if greenhouse gas emissions continue unabated, that could be up to 58% more energy than would be needed in a stable climate. Climate change itself and all the air conditioning that would be used to cool a warmer world could end up accelerating the demand for more fossil fuel-generated electricity, a potentially disruptive positive feedback. See, positive isn't always positive. Learn that. A preliminary analysis of global temperature data for July suggests it may have marginally become the warmest month on record. Figures from the first 29 days of a month marked by those heat waves are on a par or slightly higher than the record sent in in July 2016. That assessment carried out by researchers at the EU's Copernicus Climate Change Service. July was 2.6, 2.16 degrees Fahrenheit above average temperatures that occurred between 1850 and 1900. That was average? Research published in Frontiers in Marine Science looked at the large-scale impacts of a series of extreme climate events on coastal marine habitats around Australia. More than 45% of the coastline was already affected by extreme weather events caused by climate change. These ecosystems are struggling to recover as extreme events are expected to get worse. Corals, seagrass, mangroves, and kelp are some of the key habit-forming species of the coastline in Australia. They all support a host of marine invertebrates, fish, sea turtles, and marine mammals. The uh, extreme climate events have had devastating impacts on the habitats of the creatures. And as the pace of the extreme events increases, it's harder for the habitat to recover before the next extreme event occurs. And the animals and the plants don't know what to do. Without dramatic action to reduce climate change, new research shows Joshua trees won't survive much past this current century we're living in now. So if you want to plan a visit to Joshua Tree, don't plan on seeing Joshua trees. UC Riverside scientists were trying to verify earlier studies predicting global warming's deadly effect on the trees. They also wanted to learn whether the trees are already in trouble. Did they ask the trees? They used multiple methods. They arrived at several possible outcomes. In the best-case scenario, major efforts to reduce heat-trapping gases in the atmosphere would save 19% of the tree habitat after 2070. In the worst case, with no reduction of carbon emissions, the park would retain a mere 0.02% of the habitat that supports Joshua trees. In the cooler, wetter parts of the park, the biggest other threat, besides climate change is fire. Fewer than 10% of Joshua Trees survive wildfires. Exacerbated in recent years by smog from car and industrial exhaust which deposits nitrogen on the ground which in turn feeds non-native grasses that act as kindling for wildfires. Making friends wherever we go. Use of the warm, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
1: A hundred and ten Hundred
0: Hey, guys, it's Anna Buckholz with another edition of The Entrepod, the podcast for wannabe entrepreneurs and for everyone who wants to be one. As usual, we're brought to you with help from our friends at gulag.com, the most intensive way to learn a new language. Five short weeks, and you're talking like an inmate. And with me here in my uh, parents' living room today is... uh, well, you know, the cleaner just finished up, so it's a nice place to sit. Mm-hmm. My guest is Blaise Fontana, who's got, according to what he says in his press releases... Uh, briefing materials. <laughs> Sorry. Mm-hmm. He's got what everyone's looking for. And he doesn't say what that is, but I guess, because they're all dressed up and everything, it, it isn't free sex. Oh, bullseye on that, <laughs> We're all woke, right? Come and uh, we all know the climate is changing, right? Well getting warmer, mostly. Money. And we all know the politicians and the big businesses aren't going to move anywhere near fast enough to save us from the effects of that change. Like all that extra warmth. mundo. So what can one person do? Get together with another person? I mean, about this problem. Ah, yeah. Uh, well, I'm guessing you've got the answer that will totally disrupt this problem, or maybe even solve it. I wish I knew another slang way of saying, that's right. But yes, okay. you know, no matter how hot it is outside, how cool you feel when you've just gotten out of a swimming pool or, if you're lucky, the ocean. Oh, me, I feel lucky in a pool. Mm. But yeah, it's like the the wet and the cool work together, like a, a symmetry or a synergism. So I asked my team of engineers and designers, how do we make people feel like that all the time in a warmer world? Um uh, A whole lot more pools, like, everywhere? No. Clothing that always stays wet. Wow. A line of apparel for every sex that keeps giving you that just-climbed-out-of-the-pool feeling. Wow. And it's got a killer name that tells the story. And that's fun to say. The clothing is called (laughs) WETS. That explains a lot before you've even said anything. Mm -hmm. But uh, how does it work? I mean, I, I notice... No matter how wet my t-shirt starts out, eventually it gets dry again. Adam, Mm -hmm. if we were just splashing normal fabrics with water, we wouldn't be garnering seven figures from angel round investors. Oh, I hear that. Obviously, there have been years of research into fabrics that wick moisture away from the body. Mm -hmm. Ski wear and stuff. We just reverse engineered that tech. To come up with fabrics that keep moisture on the body and when i say just obviously reverse engineering is almost as complex as engineering itself oh true that i i tried reverse engineering joe rogan's podcast and just a month ago we had test people walking through downtown chicago at noon these were robots no no they were actual people doing a test right oh blazing sun no breeze Mm -hmm. Just wearing one wet garment lowered their ET, their experience temperature by five to seven degrees. Mm. People who wore both top and bottom wets felt almost chilly in midsummer Chicago. Oh ha how, how, how do you calculate the ET? These were real people. We asked them. Okay, but but now you know we're sitting on my mom's couch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She used to give me eight kinds of a heck for sitting on this in wet trunks. So, well, it's a lovely catch, if you remember the 1950s. But what's unique about wets is that the outside of the garments is dry. <sighs> so it's really almost like a reverse Pampers. Well, that's not the way we like to put it, but... And you'd sell these online or retail or what? I mean, I like to try clothes on before... Adam, Adam, when it's hotter than Las Vegas outside, <laughs> I don't think fit is front of mind. Mm -hmm. WETS will be sold through the online WETS store. We're setting up the technology for that now. And then the designers come in and tart up the clothing so it doesn't look quite so special forces as the prototypes. And then it's a WETS world. WETS for vets, WETS for pets. Wow, you've got this wired to the nth. We believe in the WETS revolution. In a warmer world, why be dry when you can be... WETS? (laughs) Very good. Well, it was right on the... uh The briefing materials. And I'm no expert, but it sounds like at this moment, nothing could be woker. Nobody sweats when they're wearing wets. (laughs) Dude, you're a slogan machine. Thank you. My thanks to Blaze Fontana for the visit. You can keep the briefing materials. Thanks for that, too. Now, next time I... Now, till the next time I say hello, welcome to the EntrePod. I'm Adam Buckholz saying goodbye from my parents' living room.
2: Forever.
0: When I'm well, when I'm in. Every we One more note on uh, the subject of heat, warmth, the like. Temperatures near the new National Stadium in Tokyo were recorded at uh, 6 a.m. local time with exactly one year to go until the start of the Olympic Marathon at 86 degrees Fahrenheit. A heat wave is sweeping across the region. Last week, 11 deaths recorded. 5,664 people were taken to hospital in Japan with heat-related medical issues at the end of the rainy season. Humidity was more than 70%. This is the weather that's going to be there... arguably a year from now... when the Olympic Marathon begins. The statistical statistical data collected is being used... to plan measures to safeguard runners... against heat-related illnesses. The women's marathon is scheduled... for a 6 a.m. start August 2 next year. The men's event, same time, one week later... Initially, they were going to start at 7.30, which was revised to 7 before being altered again, with the potential health risks to athletes, spectators, and workers in mind. 3 a.m. is not bad. The 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 middle-of-the-night marathon? It's got a nice ring to it. Put a ring on it. Since two years ago, the government's Bureau of Environment has been collecting data on temperatures, humidity, and the amount of direct sunlight around competition venues to... uh, determine a heat stress index temperatures around the new national stadium reached a minimum 87.8 degrees on 12 of the 17 days during which the olympics will be held next summer concerns over heat rose last year after japan suffered a record heat wave temperatures reached 105.9 raising concerns same thing might happen next year among the measures being considered allowing spectators to bring their own bottled water into venues under certain conditions. This had previously been prevented at past editions of the Olympic Games due to sponsorship and security. A cooling project has been launched with the aim to promote heat countermeasures by Japanese organizers with the help of 13 sponsors, like providing cool spaces and items which can be sampled to mitigate heat items. Misting sprays and air-conditioned tents were featured at a uh, volleyball test event. And um, the cooling project details of the plan haven't been announced yet. Each company has its own unique way to contribute to heat issues said uh, an official, like a sweets company would be able to supply ice cream or a pharmaceutical company would be able to provide cooling pads. You know, those cooling pads that that you've never seen. The Olympics, ladies and gentlemen, it's a movement and it's getting hotter all the time. How about some apologies?
2: We're so sorry.
0: Conservative firebrand and Fox Nation host... Fox Nation is a streaming service run for people who can't get enough Fox News from Fox News. Tomi Lahren this week apologized for a comment about Senator Kamala Harris's personal life that she also live-tweeted, or that she did live-tweet during Wednesday's Democratic primary debate. She asked Harris a very personal question. Kamala, did you fight for ideals, or did you sleep your way to the top with Willie Brown? Question mark, question mark, unquote. After widespread criticism... Laren backtracked by saying, "...I apologize for my comment on Kamala's personal relationship. It was the wrong choice of words. There are many other things to take her to task for. And I will stick to those." Unquote. Ariana Grande's music is topping the charts, tying Taylor Swift for 10 Video Music Award nominations, but she was in the news this week for other reasons. A social media misstep... Now, deleted Instagram exchange with her friend Doug Middlebrook, Grande made a joke about John Benet Ramsey, the six year old beauty queen who was slain in her parents' Colorado home way back in 1996. John Benet's murder became a media sensation because of her participation in youth beauty pageants. Crime has never been solved. Middlebrook posted a photo of a tabloid news magazine that reported on the case, accompanied by the caption No one has done more covers. Grande replied back, "'I can't wait for this to be your Halloween look,' to which Middlebrook wrote back, "'Working on it already.'" Fans took screenshots of the post and proceeded to lash her with criticism. "'An eight-year-old girl who was violently killed, strangled, and suffocated cannot be anyone's costume,' said one fan. A few hours later, Grande replied to the comment, saying she realized what she said was insensitive and not funny." Yeah, no, I deleted it very quickly and understand that it's not at all funny. This was out of pocket, and I sincerely apologize, said Grande. Yeah, no. Humor by amateurs. Dilbert creator Scott Adams has uh, been promoting a new kind of news app, but he got a little blowback when he tried to tout the app on social media immediately after a mass shooting. Shortly after, Gunman opened fire at the Gilroy Garlic Festival in California, killing three and wounding 12. Oh, that was last week's mass shooting. Adams cited the shooting to promote the app interface, which he helped create through his startup company. The app tries to find subject matter experts and witnesses and connect them directly with news consumers. If you were a witness to the Gilroy Garlic Festival shooting, please sign on to Interface by WenHub, free app, and you can set your price to take calls. Use keyword Gilroy. He commented to his nearly 330,000 followers. I feel bad now. Hundreds of people on Twitter denounced Adams for trying to profit from the tragedy. In the app, witnesses and other experts can charge for their text and video accounts when Hub gets about a 10% cut. Frank Luntz, political pollster, said, You're really using an in-progress mass shooting to promote your app, Scott? Adams said, It's a news-gathering tool like CNN and Fox News. No fake outrage necessary. This is one of its intended purposes. But he also expressed qualified regret. The tweet is poorly worded, and I apologized immediately on Periscope, he told the Washington Post. But I limited my apology to the people who actually are victims of the tragedy. If any of them were offended, I, of course, offered my unreserved apology. I accept fully the criticisms of the people who say this was ill-timed or ill-worded. Unquote. Scott Adams' if apology. Rick Porcello's frustration bowled over Wednesday as he broke two television monitors in the Boston Red Sox dugout. Starting pitcher smashed both his fists against two television screens while heading down the tunnel that leads to the batting cage area in Clubhouse. It was a reaction to frustration, Porcello said. It's not the behavior I condone. Obviously, everybody gets frustrated. I kind of wish I did that without the cameras being on me. I apologize to everyone that had to see that. It's not behavior that I feel like is representative of me and my personality. The frustration got the best of me, so I apologize for that and anybody that had to watch that. Unquote. The Red Sox lost. Excuse me, I mean, the Red Sox lost. Deadline, Raleigh, North Carolina. Bob Cordell, the State Board of Edel- Elections chairman, resigned This week, following reports about a sex joke he made Monday at a conference with hundreds of elections officials from around the state of North Carolina. Quote, I sincerely apologize to those who heard my joke at the elections conference and all those affected by my words, he said. He's a retired Charlotte lawyer. He was appointed in February as chair of the elections board. His resignation was announced Tuesday night before the board sent his letter to the media. The reservation has been accepted. WRAL reported that he'd told a lengthy joke about women, sex, and cows during the gathering of several hundred local elections officials. Many in the audience found the joke inappropriate. Probably was the cows. Dateline Cobb County, Georgia, community meeting intended to ease the fears of the public has instead fired people up even more. Hundreds showed up to hear directly from the president and vice president of the company that is releasing a dangerous chemical into the air Residents weren't satisfied with what they heard. Phil McNabb is the president of Sterigenics, a company that sterilizes medical equipment with a chemical called ethylene oxide, which in 2016 the EPA determined was far more dangerous than previously thought, classifying it as a chemical that definitely causes cancer. According to McNabb, the company has taken steps to reduce emissions of the dangerous gas, saying there was a period in 2015 when additional technologies were implemented to bring the annual emission output down from about 3,000 pounds a year to about 200. For the residents, no amount of the toxin is acceptable. The crowd booed McNabb when he tried to apologize for not alerting the public to the dangerous emissions. I know that because this is a surprise, there's a lot of feeling and mistrust, and I apologize. We should have gotten out ahead of this a while ago. Interestingly enough, the company has been dealing with outraged residents in Illinois, near another one of its plants, for the last year. Same problem up there. Hmm. A model who falsely claimed to be transgender to deflect backlash over past transphobic social media comments now says she takes full responsibility for her remarks. Carissa Pinkston, a model for Rihanna's lingerie line, posted a series of remarks to her Facebook account where she went by the name of Rissa Danielle. Being transgender does not make you a woman. It simply makes you transgender, she wrote in one of the posts. In another, she stated that though transgender people want to be perceived as male or female, in a biological context, there are males and females. When she was called out for her comments at the time, she didn't apologize, but rather likened the notion of transgender identity to reclaiming virginity. Screenshots of these now-deleted comments surfaced on Twitter last week. She was promptly fired from her agency, Elite Models. In response to the backlash, she posted a statement on her Instagram account in which she falsely came out as trans. I wasn't ready to come out yet, but today I got fired. I've been receiving hate mail and death threats ever since, so I'm forced to tell everyone the truth. I'm transgender, unquote. The 20-year-old model said she transitioned at a young age and that her social media comments reflected her personal insecurities. I've since come to realize that I am a woman. We all are, all caps, she wrote. I've seen baby pictures of Carissa. I've seen her fully naked. I've been around this woman long enough to fully know her, said a fellow model. We have many trans friends. This conversation would definitely have been brought up. Following this criticism, Pinkston issued an apology on Instagram and confessed, that she is not, in fact, transgender. I apologize for any transphobic remark I've ever made towards the trans community. I thought if I came out as trans I could somehow make things better for myself. But it appears I've only made things worse. Unquote. She claimed she lied about her gender identity because she was receiving death threats. Don't kill me, I'm trans! The squad have had their faces printed on a gun shop billboard ad in far western North Carolina. This is the, uh, if you're not familiar with the phrase, the squad Four. members of Congress, all female, all, as we say these days, of color. The billboard is located in the town of Murphy, 200 miles from Charlotte. Didn't directly call on customers to attack the Congresswomen, but he called them the Four Horsemen, a biblical reference that represents conquest, war, famine, and death. Insulted them as idiots and then listed the shop's name, Cherokee Guns, under their photos in large red print. The shop was located only a mile away from the sign. The uh, lawmakers say they've already been receiving numerous death threats. Fate of the billboard remains unclear. On Wednesday, Allison Outdoor, advertising the company behind the ad, said on Facebook they were taking down the billboard. For all those who have who has concern over the Cherokee Guns artwork, the board is coming down. The company wrote, The creative never came on management's desk for approval. We understand this is a delicate subject, and we greatly apologize for it ever going up. Unquote. That post, however, according to Vox, was removed in a day. There's no longer any indication on the company's Facebook page that they plan to take any action at all. Usually, the outdoor advertising company doesn't pre-screen what its clients put on the billboards, Danny Coleman, the account executive responsible, said in a newspaper interview, as long as there's no vulgar stuff or stuff with kids. Oh, to be in North Carolina tonight. A county Republican committee chairman in New Jersey who retweeted anti-Muslim and sexist posts on the committee's account has apologized for the content. Jerry Scanlon said in a statement he didn't thoroughly read some tweets before retweeting them from the Sussex County GOP account. He said he doesn't hold negative feelings of hate towards anyone. The tweets used sexist slurs for the four Texas Congresswomen and called them radical terrorists. Scanlon is on the board of trustees of Sussex County Community College. NewJersey.com reports the school is investigating the matter. He's no longer involved with the county Republican committee's social media platform. Other stuff The man who sold the AK-47 used to kill three people and injured 12 at the Gilroy Garlic Festival has apologized to the victims of the mass shooting. The owner of Big Mike's Gun and Ammo in Fallon, Nevada, who identified himself only as Mike, posted a Facebook message in which he admitted to selling the suspected shooter the weapon. I did not know this individual, Mike Wrote, he ordered my rifle off my internet page. When I did see him, he was acting happy and showed no reasons for concern. I would never sell any firearm to anyone who acted wrong or looks associated with any bad group like white power. Everyone is my brother and sister, and I am mourning for the families. Wrote Mike of Big Mike's Gun and Ammo. Joshua Harris, the megachurch pastor and author of several Christian relationship books, posted a lengthy note on Instagram last weekend in which he apologized to the LGBTQ community and said he is, quote, not a Christian, unquote, any longer. I have lived in repentance for the past several years, repenting of my self-righteousness, my fear-based approach to life, the teaching of my books, my views of women in the church, and my approach to parenting, to name a few. He wrote... But I specifically want to add to this list now to the LGBTQ plus community. I want to say that I am sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. I regret standing against marriage equality for not affirming your place in the church and for any ways that my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry, unquote. This comes about a week after Harris, formerly lead pastor at a megachurch in Maryland, announced that he and his wife are divorcing. This came as something of a bombshell in a conservative Christian community considering the career he had built on his books I Kissed Dating Goodbye and Boy Meets Girl Say Hello to Courtship. He wrote both when he was in his early 20s. Before the uh, human brain is fully mature, Home Depot is apologizing to a Milwaukee man who says he was racially profiled at the store's Wauwatosa location. The Louisiana police chief apologized to his city and the family of a black man shot and killed by a former police officer in 2016, saying the officer should never have been hired. And those are the Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen. They are a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Dominion, we're getting our revenge against sharks. Sharks that live in the open ocean are being forced to share large parts of their habitat with, you know, fishing people. Long line fishing operations encroach on almost one quarter of the area that pelagic sharks roam each month, according to a study in Nature. In some regions, the overlap is even higher. Long line fishing uses lines that can reach 62 miles include hundreds of hooks and it's the practice that catches the most pelagic sharks. They live in open waters. Many species migrate long distances each year. But uh, not anymore. Not so much. Ouch. Ouch, say the pelagic shark sharks. Because we've got dominion. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to dominate this hour again next week at the same time on most of these same stations, you never know, department, and on your uh, audio device of choice, whenever you want it, whenever you want it to be dominated, and it would be just like not being a plagic shark, if you'd agree. Join with me, then, would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead and to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address, all. At Harryshearer.com, along with your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, and I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. How convenient for all of us. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the home of the homeless.